Hello, welcome back to Pit Stop. I am Jordan Della Coltman, joined by Tyler Walzak. Tyler, uh, we live in Vancouver. We are on the West Coast. And so the Australian Grand Prix was on television at 11 p.m. on Saturday. It has been almost two full days since then. Do you even remember what happened? Now, you didn't watch this live. Let's be honest. You didn't watch this live, did you? <laughs> I did not watch it live. I was actually disappointed when I did see the time of this race, thinking it would be Sam Fadam on Sunday morning and saw that it was a 10 a.m. or 11 p.m. start Saturday night. I was in Whistler, so I did miss qualifying and the race live and watched it probably about, I want to say, 4 p.m., 5 p.m. late yesterday, Sunday, okay, so, Sunday afternoon. So this is good. This is valuable because we like to, on this show, we like to treat ourselves like we're not experts, but we are fans and we like to be like the conduit through which other newer people finding the sport can find some uh, information and some solace. You need to tell new followers of Formula One, how do you avoid being spoiled when you are a PVR viewer? Because there's a lot of us out here. There's a, I mean, I imagine you have family and friends still in Ontario who what, this would have been on at like two o'clock in the morning. They're clearly not going to watch this thing live. When they wake up Sunday morning, how do they prevent being spoiled? It is actually, it's getting harder and harder because social media is picking up um, like like ESPN is starting to get more attracted to F1. TSN is starting to get more attracted to F1. I am in a fantasy uh, F1 league in a group chat on like WhatsApp that I have to, everyone said it's very frustrating because the, the guys in the F1 uh, group chat on WhatsApp, and I'm going to use this platform to kind of call them out on this, <laughs> just keep saying like mute the chat, mute the chat. It doesn't work if you have four different chats in WhatsApp. You still see the preview of what someone is saying, and you could all of a sudden catch a glimpse of like Verstappen wins or this person gets like tossed out of the race or whatever in a crash. Um, and then I have another group chat that I actually left from like iMessage. I left it the other day because it's just too much. Like you can't avoid it. And if you maybe for an hour or two hours, you can yeah not check your phone. But if you're going two days, it's you can't be on Instagram. You can't be on any social media platform or in any. You can't like open WhatsApp or iMessage because you might see something. Um, and we're all addicted to our phones now, so it's you just can't be in those things. You have to. It sucks because you want to talk about it, and I'm in a position where I get to talk to you about this every Monday night, and I get my F1 fix where I can talk to someone that likes it and loves it as much as I do. Um, but you can't be in other group chats because of it, and that's the frustrating part. But also, people have to understand like these races come on sometimes at 4 a.m. Like, and it's, it's summer. You got stuff some, to do. Some some of you aren't waking up at 4 a.m. is what you're saying. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Some of us are psychos who are like, I have to watch it live, but that's fine. I know I once spoiled the race for you and I will never do that again. Oh, it was still, horrible. I don't still think muted. you talked to me for a week. Yeah, you still have me you're muted. still on muted that. on my yeah, Instagram. Yeah. That's why like, you know, no, never know. Right away. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, I never know. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's actually get to the race. We have lots to talk about because it was, it, we have, I, we, we need to sell some merch with this, but like high event race. Doesn't mean it's a good race but it is a high event race. Lots to talk about here. Lots to go through. Australian Grand Prix. Uh, 
I don't personally have very much to talk about in qualifying other than the fact that it was a very uncharacteristically bad qualifying for Sergio Perez. This whole weekend, he would like probably to forget. I mean, he, he made up a lot of places, to be fair, starting the pit lane. But like one of those weekends where like a guy who's just starting to get a sniff of the, the top of the leaderboard and like actually maybe be able to take a little bit of a fight to his teammate, just like he couldn't make the corner. He couldn't make the corner. It was horrible. Oh. Uh, but that's the only thing I have from qualifying. Do you have anything from qualifying before we get to the race? I do. So you're right about Sergio Perez. He was in, in qualifying one, quality one. He was the guy that kind of was very disappointing, but he was like that in the third practice session of that day. Like they, people could tell like, Hey, how's he going to do in qualifying? And he spun in the same corner that he was spinning on uh, P3. Um, Mercedes had a great qualifying one. Alex Albon had a great qualifying overall made q3 um i think he was sixth after q1 um in the second qualifying ferrari came back from what was almost not being able to make it through um but uh it's it was yeah that was about it there was nothing that kind of out of the ordinary gasly finally made it into uh qualifying three at in australia um that was another notable name but you're right other than that it was just basic well the, the only real storyline that ties to where we get to at the beginning of the actual race is the fact that the Mercedes all of a sudden found some interesting pace. Yeah. And we've been talking the last couple of weeks that it feels like they're scratching at something. And we know that there is this secret project, this plan to do an overhaul kind of mid season here. They have some pieces that they're working on back at Brackley. They're going to probably add side pods to the car. That seems to be the main rumor here. There's some aer aerodynamic uh, advantages that they think that they've uncovered in the wind tunnel that they're ready to bring forward. It's going to cost them a lot of money. We don't know what that means for the rest of the season, but they're going to try. In the meantime, they're still running this car that by all standards, people want to write off as a shit box. It's, it, it was on fire there during qualifying. They, they put both cars at one point were on provisional pull. Both cars were pushing the pace during practice sessions all, all week. They had great, pace and they ended up being able to find a way to get to two and three and it put them in a really enticing place to start the race because it's like oh you got max all alone out there with sergio nowhere to be found and alonzo right behind the mercs and all of a sudden now it's like three on one to start this race and that's kind of exactly what happened right off the yeah. top the the mercedes got a great jump uh fantastic start for george russell you get out to one two and 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 not just once we'll talk about the other restarts but like something's not right in the timing they're coming off the clutch for Max Verstappen right now. He's got everything else dialed, but he has had bad starts. Yeah. And it, in this race, it wasn't just him. It seemed like everybody was slow to, to the gas pedal on that one. Like it was noticeable that nobody got a jump on the, at least in one, two, nobody got a jump off that, that uh, first race start. It was very strange, very noticeable. Um, I, yeah, I couldn't explain it. I've been, I've still been, I've been thinking about it ever since. I don't know, but you're right. Verstappen has had a problem with his starts this year. So but it doesn't matter if you get a six second yeah, <laughs> advantage exactly. like two laps later, exactly. you're just exactly. gone. And, uh, and 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 the big thing here was that we had an interesting start to this race, as I said, because the 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 Mercedes were out front. We have George and Lewis fighting for first place george holding him on and then we get our first red flag but it wasn't a red flag first first it was just a safety car mm -hmm. and they clearly made a decision at mercedes to switch the uh strategies have one guy come into the pit 
Obviously, that's your lead car. He's in front. He's going to get that opportunity. And they clearly were identifying, because there were cars even before that who had pitted with going to the hard tire, that there was going to be a long stint for those hard tires if the race stayed you know, flag free. It ended up not being that way, but the, the the plan was George will come in early and he'll have an advantage later. And I think Carlos Sainz made the same calculation of the Ferrari side, his side of the garage made the same calculation. So those two dive into the pits. It gives Lewis the lead. Fantastic to see chased by Max. And then seconds later, it gets red flagged. And it's just like, you have to feel for George Russell because he did everything right at the start of that race. He had a great qualifying. He put himself on the front row. He gets out in front of the leader, has the lead. He even has his own teammate behind him to slow down the, the, the championship leader behind them. They clearly had done everything right. And then a simple mistake that you couldn't even really have planned for. Should it have been a red flag? There's been times we've seen the same amount of gravel and it hasn't been. But clearly they were going well, to be a the, little quick on the red flags. We learned that later. That is the problem with that red flag is that they've all driven through gravel before. And the drivers even said, like, you're you're putting a red flag out for gravel. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. FIA did come like four laps later and say there was pieces of Albon's car, car that yeah. were still out there. But um, it was a, a lot of weird things in that first six laps or so. Like after the first lap, you saw guys come in for, for tires like Ocon came in after the first lap. Like what, yeah. what is the point of qualifying then? If yeah. you're working so hard to qualify where you were, and then after the first lap, you're coming in to go hard tire. And I get that in Australia last year, um, guys did, I think the, there's 52 laps. I think guys did 51 laps on hard tires and made it all the way. And that's what kind of a lot of cars tried to do that this race. Well, but and remember also last year, there was in... a bunch of, of safety cars and yeah. red flags. So you yeah, have exactly. to know that you're going to have those opportunities to change your tires you don't need to do this this early it just happened to work that way the year before yeah well and remembering that like in this situation i think a lot of those guys it was based on the decision they'd made during qualifying to put a certain tire on to get a better spot had really handicapped their later strategy so they realized the faster we get to this strategy the faster we could get an undercut advantage it just didn't work because of as yeah. you say the fact that we weren't going to run 52 clean laps um yeah. let's jump let's jump to uh, a little bit later in the race, because again, as I said, high event, um, we obviously saw some fun overtaking and a big credit goes to Sergio Perez, who made up some fantastic positions on the back. Whenever Sergio Perez is at the back of a, of a race, whether he starts there or he ends up back there because of a puncture or something like that, that is primetime viewing because Sergio Perez is a fantastic overtaking driver. He We saw him mm -hmm. win his very first ever uh, Grand Prix back in Bahrain, I think it was uh, three or four years ago now. And it was literally a race that on like lap five or six, he had a puncture. He ended up at the back of the grid. He came all the way back to win it from the back. He just loves to chase down cars. And now he's in a freaking rocket ship. So it's a fun, yeah. it's easy, even easier. But we had a great battle between Alonzo and Lewis when they were fighting for second there for a little while. Obviously, I mean, the overtake that Max had on Alonzo or pardon me on Lewis was, I mean, that car is, what 15 kilometers faster in a straight line than anybody else plus drs it's ridiculous um so that was that one didn't really do anything for me but we did have some fun overtakes there when we get to the later portion of this race though the biggest story is obviously what happens at the end we'll get there in a second for you you must have been excited by how well gasly was doing i was over the moon and when this red flag that i think we're about to talk about on lap 55 of 58 came out and Gasly, who was keeping up with Alonzo yeah. in, I think it was four or five, which is where they were. 
keeping up with him within a second, holding on DRS. Um, and I do know that Alonzo was probably holding back some some charge. But still, like in order for that Alpine and Gasly to hold on and keep up with him, very exciting as a Gasly fan. Very, very exciting. I even stopped, like, paused the race and like brought my girlfriend in and be like, hey, you, we have to watch these last three laps because it is a red flag. We, and then I kind of gave her a breakdown of like, this is the best guy in the world. This is the best guy ever. And then this is the guy that has had everything in the world to prove to himself coming back into the sport after being out of yep. it. And then here's my guy. And yeah, we just need to thing. watch what happens with my guy because the whole time I'm thinking all that Gasly needs to do is just hold on to where he was in fourth or fifth and two guys in front of him yeah. just crash. That's all we needed to happen was two guys, Hamilton and Alonso. Like I know they're veterans and I know that they're very good at close driving within millimeters of where they, yeah. each other are. It still could have been them, and then Gasly could get on the podium. Not what happened. So no. we're going <laughs> to talk about the red flag. All. I do actually. I, I missed one thing. I want to go back to before we get there because I this is about to, to digress. I'm sure. Let's just go back to the very beginning of this race when we had that o- opening lap. There, do you think Lewis pushed Max off? That's the other question mark in that no, very first. Max lap. said is that, that fair. Lu- no, Max said that Lewis was ahead of him in the turn at the apex, which was not true at all. Um. It, it's up to it was up to for him to take the lane he wanted, and Lewis followed suit, and he didn't hit him. He didn't do anything. It was very fair driving. It's just it, this is just Verstappen being Verstappen again. Like it's nothing's changed. He's still that little bitch boy that we've known forever. All right, good. We can agree on that, and we'll move on from there. All right, red flag <laughs> comes out. So we end up with oh, a very strange. Like what exactly happened with Magnuson? Did he just not see the wall? Like, is he just tired? Was the sun too low? Like, there's all of these question marks. But he didn't, apparently, he didn't even know he'd made contact with the wall until the team told him the significance of the damage. Like, he obviously, he felt something. But, mm-hmm. like, the, like, that wheel was gone. Like, completely oh, yeah. shredded the tire. He was oh, down yeah. to the rim. And I'm impressed by the fact that he got that car back to the pits, because he did. But but not pleasantly. Right. And they had to clean up a lot of damage. So obviously they throw the red flag. We're talking four laps, three laps from the finish. We go to a safety car to bring them all in or whatever, red flag it. And now we're left with this bizarre situation. The first question I have to ask you, and this is a sensitive subject. Is this, uh, did this all occur because of uh, Abu Dhabi 2021? Is this why this ended this way? I, yes and no. I think that a part of this, the reason that they called another red flag was because it was so lenient the way they called the red flag on Albon and just the gravel. Mm-hmm. Um, So I think they had to, in their minds, go, well, we called it before for something that was less significant, so we kind of have to do it now. Uh, I think that is part of the reason. I also think that part of the reason is before Abu Dhabi, when F1 realized that how big they were really getting in other markets, that they wanted, and there is a problem with NASCAR for a long time in the early 2000s, that people were tired of yellow flag finishes. And that was the problem with NASCAR. That's what people complained about. So F1 is looking back at their, like, why do people watch NASCAR? What do we have to help with that? Mm. So I think a little bit, and I'm just saying it's like just because of America, but because of what happened in Abu Dhabi, they they want it to be a tight race at the end for entertainers, for yeah, people watching, course. for the viewers. And everyone wants but that. It's but... not. 
it's but I don't think it's the same anymore. It's the F1 community and viewers because of Drive to Survive are a little bit smarter during each race. And don't get me wrong, I was very excited about the the red flag because the potential that Gasly could all of a sudden win or at least get the podium for one mistake. But that is a a kind of a backwards mindset because you shouldn't want to have to wait for someone else to help someone else succeed. That's not what right. you want to see. You want to see driving. You want right. to see you want to see overtakes in corners and on straights. You don't want to hope for someone to crash so that there's a red flag and the race restarts again because it does kind of make the entire 55 laps before that a little insignificant. So that's very interesting. Um, I think that I had the same instinct you did at the beginning, which was like, oh, this is interesting. This is this is this will be exciting because it is. I mean, when you have a car that it's as dominant as Max is, and even look, Max went off at one point and still maintained an eight second gap. Like it was ridiculous. Yeah. It's exciting when you know you're going to at least get them bunched up again for an opportunity for something to happen, right? That is exciting. Even just coming out of a safety car, there's this renewed set. It's like when a power play is called on a team that's down by a goal. Like you all of a sudden have this new sense of opportunity that, you know, injects a different element to the game. And in this situation as a race, like if a guy is running away with the whole thing, the only way you're going to reel him back in and have the competitors who are trying to compete for second, third, and fourth have a, a sniff at it is a safety car, or in this case, a, a red flag, and you actually get a standing start. Now, we saw what happened. <laughs> and that is where I mm -hmm. think this was a fantastic example, though, of like the rules and regulations of a sport not working as intended because of just the way in which it very quickly devolved. So we get the yeah. restart, they have to go out for a formation lap, which of course, counts as a lap on the race so we end up with three laps to go and we line up on the grid again we start and by corner two it's at utter carnage just carnage mm -hmm. alonzo spun around from behind by science we'll talk about that in a second then we have everybody behind them having to adjust because that's what happens when there's contact and there's a car spinning out of it's regular, you know, um, lane. And now we have both Ocon and Gasly making contact. Did Gasly mm -hmm. just not see him? I think Gasly, Gasly made a mistake. When he locked up in the first corner, that was a mistake to lock up in that significant, in that significant turn, the first turn of yeah. a restart to lock up and then have everyone be, and I know why he locked up is because he wanted a late break so that he could hold on to like a fourth position right. and right. have a chance to pass other people. So there's a reason why he was so late to break, but he did lock up, which did cause it was high risk, high reward type situation. Um, unfortunately, it didn't work out for him. But because of the, like the panic mindset of like, oh shit, what did I just do? I'm off the track now to come back in and kind of hold your spot and look into your left view mirror. And see that there's someone be so or someone that you just kind of you kind of ignore the right one for half a second. Ocon is there now. That it was crazy, and the after pre or post race interviews with both Gasly and Ocon told me a lot about the rest of this season between the two of them. Gasly immediately apologized to Ocon, took all the blame, said, "I don't know, I just I can't I'm trying to process it, like all this and like we had such a good race, we were in fourth, we were in fifth, like we." We were able to be this car that we thought we were going to be. Um, and then Ocon came on and said, he apologized to me. It could have been anybody that hit me. It was just utter chaos. 
Um, super mature from two guys that you didn't know if like no one knew if they're actually going to get along this season. Now, I think if I don't know, I think that the safe virtual sorry, the actual safety car is already enough to close the gap between everybody because you close gaps that are eight seconds long down to like two seconds or or yeah. seven point seven hundred seconds, seven hundredth of a second. It's already enough of an advantage to get everybody back together that I don't know if they need to do restarts. A red like a red flag starts, yeah, yeah, yeah. In this moment of a race, because yeah. because it did, like for a second there, it was Aston Martin completely out of the points. Um, obviously Alpine completely out of the points. Carlos um took out Alonso. Like it was just like it so devastating to so many of the drivers, but it also brought up other people. And then it took Haas had a sniff at a podium. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. the crazy thing. So let's talk about what happens next, as you say. Because, so, I mean, obviously, I'm, we're assuming the people listening to this have seen it. If you haven't, thanks for listening, I guess. Yeah, uh, I mean, sometimes um, I guess they're just listening to help. I have we'll just tell it to them. We no idea what, what's going on. But uh, <laughs> obviously, you saw what happens. We don't have to get too much into the weeds on it. But let's talk about why we think it happened and what we think should have happened. So obviously, it's red flagged again because it's just bedlam out there. We've got two completely wrecked um alpine cars we've got a whole bunch of gravel everywhere we've got a whole bunch of mess so they bring everybody back into the pits and it feels in that moment a little bit like it's uh the stewards are kind of going well we kind of fucked that one up because that did not go as planned uh now we have two laps to go and we haven't we're we're basically right back where we just were a second ago with a race that's been put on hold and yet now our grid is completely fucked up so then there's yeah. this huge long debate about how are we going to clean this up do we go back to the original grid order of the previous restart because we didn't get through a full sector which is obviously what alonzo and the aston martin team is fighting for because that's to their advantage but now you're dealing with cars that aren't actually able to get to the grid in the Alpines, for example, and you have teams like like you mentioned with Haas or even the McLarens who are looking at this as a freaking golden goose because all of a sudden they are, yeah. their positions have increased. We've got guys who are in the points who weren't going to be in the points. We've got all kinds of uh, different scenarios being played out, and it felt like a really long time before a decision was made, which always makes you wonder how ironclad are the regulations how clear is the language if even the people who are assigned to deliver the verdicts on these decisions are having a hard time making the ruling right it's the same thing in like hockey which is a sport both of us watch where you have goalie interference and it feels like every single time there's a situation where goalie interference is called they have to like completely reevaluate what the criteria for goalie interference is and it should it feels like as a fan it shouldn't be that complicated and yet it is because every situation is different. So we had the example from Silverstone last year where we had a restart midway through the race where we didn't get through a sector because of it. And they went back and they basically redid the restart. That's what they ended up doing here. My question is, do you think given the fact that we had two laps to go, was all of that necessary? Was it done the way that was it satisfying? Was it the way you wanted it to be done? And how did, how, how it all shook out in the end, it didn't really leave anybody particularly satisfied i suppose but did you feel like it was done correctly no my biggest problem with the red card call was it came on lap 55 when i think that the incident happened on like lap 52 so they let three laps go by before they decided to the first one yeah no the like the one with albon was lap six 
I think. No, sorry, sorry. I mean the second one. I I, I don't mean yeah. the one at the end after the exactly. Yeah, mess, that's mess. the first, the big. The yeah, big there were four one, laps um, left, but they could have had. Five well, they could have had six, six or seven laps left. Right. So if they were, if they were going to call it a red flag, why was that decision not made quicker? Yeah. Because if they're going to base it off of what everyone kind of assumed was that Albon gravel, then this is the same because there's more stuff on the track. I'm not sure why it took them so. My biggest problem is why did it take them so long? Because well, it, it feels does a change a like, driver's mindset. It, it does feels change, a like, lot like that is a decision, as you said that very quickly they went, oh shit, if we don't make this decision really fast, we're going to end under safety car. Is that best for our television audience? That's what it feels like when there's a delay which, and then a reaction. Uh, which Am it I shouldn't wrong? be. It should not be that case. It should be, hey, at the end of the year, we go, okay, we had these three races end on safety car. What can we do in those races or overall to come up with better viewing experiences. It shouldn't be, okay, we've got three laps left. What's the best viewing experience yeah. we could have for this race? There should be a cut and dry standard totally. that every race has to follow. That's how sports work. That is how a lot of things in this world works is you have rules that you have to abide by that are determined by past experiences. You can't just go off book and have someone be like, oh, we're just going to do it this way on this race and this way in a different race. Now, and, they were able to use Silverstone as last year as an yeah. example as to why they went back to a certain grid. But there's no reason it should take 45 minutes. There's no reason it should take three laps to make these yeah. determines, determinations. Well, and again, the reality ends up being that if that's the reason they made that decision, it backfired badly because they ended up mm -hmm. having to finish under a safety car anyway yeah. with all kinds of other ramifications and all kinds of other drama. Let's talk about that really quickly. So while we're sitting under the final red flag with only two racing laps available, really one, but we have to go back because we didn't finish that lap. The, the two questions that I had were like, should like, do, do we have to finish at this point? Like, do we have to send them back out? Couldn't we just say if we're going to finish under a safety car and the order is determined, therefore couldn't just even in the interest of safety say, Hey, why don't yeah. we just say that was it? Call it a day and we're done like do we really have to parade one more time around now it ended up being consequential because right before we went out there they applied a five second penalty to carlos signs which meant that everybody who was behind him could race from the final corner to get as close to him without overtaking as close mm -hmm. to him as possible so that when they cross the line, they would be within that five second window and they would all bump him down the grid, which is exactly what happened. He ends up out of the points. He ends up in 12th and all of those cars get a bump up. Great for Lance Stroll who ends up in fourth. Great for Perez who ends up in fifth and the list goes on. So Yuki Sonoda who gets is, in the points. Yeah, he got in the points. And, and so the question is uh, in the end, was it the right thing to do? Yes, they had to finish the last lap. Was it stupid that we had to do it? Yes, as far as I'm concerned, it was dumb. It was, it, but again, it was a little bit like, "Hey, stewards, you made a huge mess of this. Now this is this is your reward. This is what you yeah. get as the capper to the end of this race." Which is sad because it it's was also a good race. not. Yeah, it's also not. I think it's not fair to signs that five second penalty because right. you've Let's started everybody that. at the race again. Everybody is within one hundredth of a second of each other. Now you have signs who did cause a collision, but it was in a like the same reason. Okay, so my guy Gasly has ten points um, out of twelve in terms of like he could have his license suspended. Yeah, right. You, twelve incidences or whatever points. Um, he has 10. He could have, if he, like he took out Ocon, yep, yep. he could be suspended for one race, 
but they said it's a racing start, so it's kind of chaos. So it it should like we're not going to deduct any points from his license. Signs yet is also at the start of that race and the start of those three start, yeah. Three turns also racing an incident who kind of a little vicarious, sure, but he gets penalized for and that's a huge penalty, five seconds at the start of if finishing like at the start of a race, sure, you have all race to make up five seconds. But you have three laps to do it, and then not only that, but it's a red another red flag. You have two, zero time. Two to laps, and one of them, and none yeah. of them count. They're all behind a safety car. That's what that's what I mean. Is and I the would five also, seconds is you're you've sewered him. You've absolutely. I would also like him. to say it, there is there is a a real high per, like if you watched how those cars ended up coming across, they were like three abreast, all get as close as they could. Right. Yeah. You're actually increasing the danger. You're actually mm. increasing the risk to those drivers because now you have guys who are taking an additional unnecessary risk that you that you have Im- imposed on them or that you have offered them an opportunity to, to take a risky move to try to get an advantage that you should not be doing. The stewards should not be giving out incentives to be risky, right? We're, we're meant to be behind a safety car for the purposes of safety. That's the whole idea. And that isn't what's going on there. It, it felt clumsy. It felt messy. And it'll be interesting to see, as you say, in a few races time when we see another kind of late, race situation like this is it handled differently do we see some lessons learned from this and do we get better at it or are we still as i said earlier are we still suffering some of the the consequences of such a horrific ending to a race a few years ago where we're still getting to those last couple laps and people are getting a little bit jumpy when they're having to make difficult calls and they're they're either siding too heavily on the conservative let's make the safest call or in this case they're trying to perhaps increase the entertainment factor while, while just making a, I, I, as far as I'm concerned, a, a mess of the whole thing. Let's hand out some hardware, like, Tyler. Just, the, just let's follow the rules. Yeah, but that's okay. what I mean. I mean, if these are the people who are supposed to employ, implement the rules and they're the people who write them, I'm confused why they're having such a hard time with that. Hardware, this is much easier. There's very simple rules for this, uh, Tyler. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what the award is and you're going to tell me who you think we should be handing the, uh, the trophy out to. So uh, obviously the driver of the day, and I don't know how this happened other than the fact that there's a lot of Red Bull fans out there. Sergio Perez was voted driver of the day by the fan vote look he did have a good race he came from the back but eh, i don't know did he really have the best race was he really the driver of the day he it was a very quiet 20 to 5 very quiet 20th to 5th but he did go 20 he did have the most overtakes so so who's our driver of the day who is our driver of the day i mean you have to be pretty impressed with what lewis hamilton did yesterday or yeah yesterday sunday or sorry saturday night <laughs> yeah. um, Sunday, yesterday somewhere. from when I watched it, you had to be Sunday pretty impressed with Lewis in taking a car that everyone has deemed a piece of garbage and putting it second on the podium, like, and and like a dominant second. It wasn't like he was. Yeah. He had to fight Alonso, but Alonso never really got that close to him. Yeah. Well, and he had to survive two restarts, which he yep. did. And there is something to be said for that. You know, he had to survive two restarts. He had to put himself in a position to be able to be competitive there. We know that he was under pressure from Alonso as far as the tire dag, and he still managed to get them to the end, which is very impressive. Obviously, they were all saved by the last minute red flag, which got them on mm-hmm. softs. But but he did, and he took a little bit of a fight to Verstappen when he had the advantage. Obviously, he doesn't have the pace. No one does has the pace of Red Bull. I agree with you. I I, I think it's it, hands down the best race we've seen from Lewis Hamilton in probably a calendar no. year, and it was great to see. Yeah, and I wouldn't like. I do. I want to kind of give if this race was three laps shorter, 
then Pierre Gasly would be driver of the day. Yeah. There's definitely an argument for he had a great race. I don't know if he's the driver of the day, but he definitely had a good race. It was his best race of the year, without question. And I think it bodes well for Alpine. But that's actually was up there. That's a a pretty awesome thing to say if you're a Gasly fan was that this Australian Grand Prix was his best race of the year when two weeks ago I had him as my driver of the day, coming up nine positions. Yeah. So not so driver of the day. You could also say Gasly. Because he's yeah, you, you could you could it was tough the, there at the end. He at kind the of end there, like just there. he kind of just got he. You could see that he wanted to win, and he put himself in a position that he made a mistake, yeah. and it cost him and his teammates um, points. Yeah, and now we talked those about, are huge points. We we've already talked about signs at the end of this race. I think there's a there's an argument to be made that that incident at the end, you know, kind of spoiled the whole thing. But I don't think other than that, he really had that bad a day. Leclerc had a very short day. Could you give it to Leclerc just for the fact that he basically showed up to DNF in the first, like what lap, like first corner, like that's gotta be the shortest race of his career. And I only tend to go to worst driver of the day because it's like, if there's a guy who, who has just had the most dreadful start to a season, it's now him. Like he's, yeah, uh, it's a disaster. He had 77 points this time last year. He's got seven. Yeah. That's not race. great for him, and and he kind of beached himself. It's not like, oh yeah, like yeah. I don't know who else you could give it to because all the other guys that did not finish are like. See, and I don't think you can give it to Gasly because for fault. fifty um, for fifty two ra- for fifty two laps, Gasly was great. <laughs> like you can't you can't the tell the most me he exciting was driver to watch. Yeah, I think Leclerc gets it only because he barely showed up. I mean, yeah. there's got to be Ferrari fans there who paid full price for those tickets, expecting to see a great race from Gasly or from Leclerc, and he gave nothing. There is a sign that you can watch, or not, but it's on social media now where this guy's like, I flew 10,000 kilometers to see Leclerc DNF. That's fantastic. It's like, oh, wow. That's, that's yeah, really great. That sucks. All right. Uh, here's our little interactive media moment of the, of the show here. Let me cue this up for us. We've got our, uh, our, what are we calling it? Radio call of the race. Hey, by the way, we still need some fan input on this. We want to give these awards some like, nicknames like they need some you know what i mean it's like mm. like so hit us up on on social media or send us an email uh and let us know what you think we should be naming these awards uh as as we go further in the season maybe we can get some names attached to them okay so here's our radio call today you actually already alluded to it um we're going with the alonzo reaction to the red flag now there were some good reactions to this red flag and then alonzo also had a really great moment after the restart that turned out so badly, where like instantly he wanted yeah. to bring up Silverstone and immediately wanted to make sure that that was pointed out. And that was great. It just goes to show how smart and how he is always thinking of, it must be very hard to be Fernando Alonso because he has every single outcome in his head already thought of, yeah. and he can come to it at a single moment. Like, he must live his entire life that way. Yeah. Well, he was the one scenario he did not anticipate or expect was the first red flag. He was I'm hundred percent sure thought they were finishing under a safety car. Mm-hmm. This is the reaction he got when his team radio came on to tell him that they were red flagging the race. Red flag, red flags to slow down. What? Yeah. <laughs> I'll play it for you one more time. Cause it was, for me, it's just such, it's almost like, it's almost like a, like a comic re- or like a like a cartoon reaction. He, there's no way he thought this was going to be the reaction. Red flag. Red flags to slow down. What? Yeah. Red flag. Anyway, that's our radio call of the race. What? 
what? And he it was because of the gravel. He he's like we've driven be, we've driven over gravel before. Yeah, he couldn't believe it. Uh, so that's our radio call race. Uh, let us know if you have a different one, but that's what we're giving out our hardware for. We've got one more, Tyler, the overtake of the race. Now we had a few good ones, as I said, and as you've talked about already, Perez had a lot of overtakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, none of them really uh, like, I'm sorry, when you're that fast, you should be overtaking everybody. He makes it look easy, right? Yeah. Um, the one for me is lap 25. It's signs. Uh, and he does a great dummy move down the back straight with the, um, um drs and it's a great defense they you know the the car he's behind makes the first move and then immediately he comes and takes the inside line it was a fantastic overtake on lap 25 and just shows the experience and obviously that ferrari hasn't been giving us everything we expected from it this year but i would say i mean it helps when leclerc doesn't drive there signs looks way more comfortable in this year's car than he did last year probably at any point so it's nice to see a driver who you know personally i i enjoy watching him drive i think he's a good driver i i i have nothing against carlos Sainz. i am excited and happy to see him feeling more comfortable in that ferrari yeah it's it was that move is it was beautiful and it was talked about during the race as such and it just it is it stands out in this race as the overtake of the day all right there you go those are our uh race awards for the Australian Grand Prix. Final thoughts, Tyler, before we move on from uh, the Australian Grand Prix. Most exciting race of the year so far. I mean, I know it's our third race, but easily the most exciting race Pace of yourself. the year. Pace yourself. We still have 20, 20 races to go. Yeah. Well, it was awesome too when... Was um, uh, wow, what is his name? The Alpine Omar Saf, Saf, Safnauer. Safnauer, I can't pronounce it. Um, okay. When they asked him at the end of the race, like, how do you feel yeah. about both your cars out? He's like, there's 20 races left. Yeah. Yeah. They know what they're dealing with. It's, yeah. They're going to figure some stuff out. There's a long way to go. Very long, long way to go. A long, long way to go. And wide open in the Constructors Championship. Like, it's Red oh, Bull yeah. and then everybody else. Yeah. Everybody else has a chance. Yeah. All right. Uh, we don't have too much longer to go on this show, but we will be back after this break. Hey, I'm Sayer, and I love Marvel. And I'm Kaylee, and I love someone who loves Marvel. (laughs) And we're watching through the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe, or MCU, in release order. There's another order. For Kaylee's first time. And Sayers 85th. (laughs) Wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find MCU. And me! Sayers Obsessed! And Kaylee's the best! Okay, Tyler, you know what time it is. It's time for mail. That's right. It is time for our question of the week submitted by listeners. Uh, We want to thank many listeners have been submitting questions. We really, really appreciate it. If you would like to submit a question for our mailbox box box segment, you can do that either by direct messaging us on our Instagram account or you can send an email to pitstop at ordinarypodcasts.com. That is how you can reach us. Send uh, your question and your name, and we will try to get it on the show. Our question this week, uh, Tyler, comes from Doug, uh, who sent a lovely message saying he enjoys our show and has been listening to it uh, since last season, uh, enjoys the, the, the analysis, and he had a few questions. This is the one we picked out from him. His question this week is, 
How do Formula One teams travel around the globe? It seems like a logistical nightmare. And I picked this question this week because we're in Australia. That's a long way from Europe where the majority of these races are. Uh, they do travel around the world. We are, as I said earlier, 23 races. We have more races than we've ever had. We're going to be going to North America. We're going to go back to Europe. We're going to be back in North America again near the end. We're going to finish in Las Vegas and then all the way back to Abu Dhabi. There's a lot of logistics that go into this. Um, and there's some good answers for this. Now, I have a few things. I don't know what you prepared for this, um, but do you want to take the first stab at it, or would you like me to start? What this is, this has also been very kind of controversial or talked about thing among social media, um, in terms of a sport that is very much wanting to become a hybrid, energy efficient, um, like global warming, like something to help. Within, yeah, they, they want know to be a that they burn. Yeah. yeah, they aren't taking this into account at all. Well, that's interesting you say that because I do have some some an interesting tidbit okay. to add to this. But let's just go okay. through the, the numbers because that's what I've got for you here. Their estimated amount of actual cargo that is shipped yearly by Formula One is over uh, over a thousand tons of equipment is moved around the globe by all of the teams combined. The top teams, they average travel somewhere between 80 to hundred personnel to every single race with over 50 tons of gear. Now, obviously we're talking about races in Australia and then we're bouncing back to somewhere in the middle East and all these things. So how do they get the gear everywhere? Well, the majority of teams have about five sets of a full like, um, paddock package so all of the all of the equipment that goes into their garages all of the equipment that goes into their um pit boxes all of the equipment that goes into their hospitality suites all of this stuff they've got about five sets around that number uh of this equipment which means that it is constantly um leapfrogging itself to these different destinations now how do they move it is it all on airplanes is it all on trains well that's what's interesting so the majority of the equipment is actually shipped by sea that is the number one way that stuff is moved around so in around january as the teams are preparing to start the season these five sets of equipment packages basically are loaded up on cargo ships and they begin to be shipped to the first five or six locations the middle east it's all shipped through the canals into there the stuff to australia is shipped ahead of time on freighters the stuff that goes to north america does that the smaller stuff travels majority uh, around europe on ground uh, so on the backs of trucks and all of this kind of stuff which goes to what you were mentioning which about the the, the move to try to be greener for example last season Every single truck that, tra that transported Mercedes equipment throughout Europe for all of the European races was either hydrogen or battery powered. And it was the, the, the most um, energy efficient and carbon neutral season in the history of Formula One for a single team. Now, that was Mercedes because they've developed this technology for their road transportation vehicles and they wanted to use this as a big commercial, which makes sense. Um, but that's how they moved it around. The last piece I wanted to talk about, which is really fascinating, is that obviously there are some very sensitive and very, very fragile pieces of equipment here that are not going to be shipped on the back of some truck going down the Autobahn. When it comes to the actual cars and the actual aerodynamic elements of these vehicles and most of their tires, those are put on planes and they're flown around the globe. That's obviously where we have a problem with the environmental portion of this. 
but that's kind of the key ingredients. Right. If you arrive in Australia and you're like, oh yeah, sorry, there was like a, you know, a boat that got turned sideways in the Panama Canal and your shit's not here, well, you're kind of screwed. So the key stuff is put on planes and it is moved around. The funniest one is that there's this uh, great tradition in Formula One of every team has a, a group of about three or four employees that are nicknamed gophers who are basically designed to run and grab specialty equipment from certain places. And almost every single race when you hear like, oh, they've added a little flange to the side of the front wing or they added a little piece of aerodynamics there. The majority of these pieces of equipment are actually shipped by hand by these gophers right from the factory the minute it's manufactured in hand luggage. So can you imagine some guy is sitting there at departures at uh, Heathrow with like a, a little duffel bag or something that he's going to put in the overhead bin while he sits in economy <laughs> and inside of it is this incredibly sensitive piece of equipment for Red Bull or McLaren or whoever and that piece of equipment is this little, this guy's one job is to make sure that one thing gets to the garage in Azerbaijan or in Miami or wherever. So I just love this idea that there's these little gophers running around the globe chasing their Formula One teams with the newest piece of tech. Now, Obviously, Mercedes isn't going to show up with some gopher with the, the side pods buried in his hand luggage. Yeah. But when we're talking about smaller stuff, they do have these people who are kind of chasing them around. The last thing I wanted to say about the logistics part, which is fascinating, is that the, the official Formula One broadcast team also has over 50 members who travel at all times with the team. They have 126 cameras as their base package. And then certain race tracks, they would rent local equipment for different setups or whatever, right? When you're getting into some of the more complicated places where you need a whole bunch more, but 160 cameras, uh, it loads into seven, um, like uh, 10 ton trucks as it travels around Europe. So th this is a lot of equipment. It is a huge logistical nightmare, but by this point, most of these teams have it pretty dialed. And I would bet that there are some really, really smart guys back at the factory who throughout the winter break are just constantly booking airline tickets and booking all this stuff for everything is, is dialed in. But it is a great question, Doug. Thank you for submitting it. And it's a lot of fun. Uh, Tyler, what, what is the most uh, like expensive or valuable thing you've ever taken in hand luggage? Um, oh, my goodness. An iPad, probably. That's about it. So not or a camera. piece of not a piece of carbon fiber, you know, wing end plate. No, that'd be amazing though. I would feel like a secret agent, like James Bond, if I had to bring something so significant to an F1 car in like a duffel bag, and just kind of be like, and I would, I wouldn't talk to anybody. I'd, be, I'd wear shades the entire time. I would take full advantage of that job and just how cool it is. If yeah, you. I'm if, Imagine yeah, like, that it's that's high priority. You're trying to get through the TSA and they're like, excuse me, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> it's a well, left wing actually, nut. It's, it's a left wing yeah, nut. So, yeah, exactly. This is, this is protected under very strict copyright infringement laws. I can't tell you what that is. Uh, would you like a Red Bull? Um, all right. Thank you, Doug. We really appreciate it. Tyler, I did all the talking there. It's your turn to do all the talking. We're going to Azerbaijan. It's our first sprint race. You and I said yep. last year, if you remember, at the end of the season, this was one of the like dream scenarios for a sprint race because it would just be absolute suicide. But they must have been listening because we're getting a sprint yeah. race in the streets of Azerbaijan. Set us up April 28th to 30th in Azerbaijan. What should we be looking forward to? Another street circuit. Azerbaijan first race here was 2017. Now they had had a bunch of races earlier. Um, but different, like the Euro GP and all that type of stuff. 2017 was the first race for F1. Um, like I said earlier, this is another street circuit. It seems like we're doing a lot of those at the beginning of the uh, 
of of this year's season. This race last year was in June, the 10th to the 12th of uh, of June last year. So it's been bumped up. There's two DRS zones uh, between turn one and two, and the last turn between the start finish straight away. This is a six kilometer race, 20 turns, 51 laps. Max speed is about 360 kilometers per hour. Now, this is kind of the most interesting thing about this track is that the drivers are flat out. That means the pedal is on the ground for two kilometers of the race. So a third of this race, it is nothing but just high, high speed. It's an extremely long main straightaway where the start finish line is allows for a lot of strip, uh, slip streaming um, that you'll find at the beginning of this track. Now, Best part about this is that at the end of that long, long um, start finish line, there is a turn one that can fit three wide, very dangerous, very fast, um, comes up quick. Um, but after that, this tur- this track becomes very narrow, very twisty. Um, teams are going to have to choose between they want the downforce for the corners or if they want less drag for that straightaway. Um, this will be that now we know by now at this part of the season that Red Bull has a significant advantage in the long straights. But the key to this track is how late you are willing to break during these corners. So a driver that has high confidence levels that can break late is going to do very, very well here. Um, now, again, you will probably see Red Bull 1 and 2. But after that, it's whoever has, I don't hate to say this, but the most balls is going to be able to take these turns and gain positions. Last year's qualifying, Leclerc was pole, Perez 2, Verstappen 3. After the first turn, Leclerc locked, locked up his rear right is front right maybe um and perez took the lead lap nine laps in carlos uh signs engine blew up on him so ferrari was down half half of their team um this was also the race very cool that vettel locked up um and did that great spin move to immediately get back onto the track i think you remember that if you saw it um so that was that was very cool to see that um this was a terrible race for Ferrari last year. Leclerc blew up on lap 20. So both of them were out. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Um, also, the race where kind of those black and orange flags started to become a storyline. Sunata broke uh, the wing of his DRS that opened, and they just taped it shut with duct tape right. and just told them, that. do not use your DRS. for." The... And then, obviously, Sunata came in and just started screaming on the radio. Um, podium this race, Verstappen, Perez, Russell. Um, and then Hamilton That's was right. fourth, I believe. Uh, did not finish signs in this order. Signs, Leclerc, Zhao, Magnuson, Stroll. Now, a lot of you people that are into fantasy, I got a tidbit for you on this one. And I'm not a homer here. This is actually facts. Pierre Gasly, if you want someone that's probably low value right now to get you points, last year in this race, in an Alpha Tori, Gasly finished fifth. And that fit, fifth place finish was after a late pass um, by Lewis Hamilton, the best to ever do it. Um, and I think in the last like seven laps or something like that to lose that fourth spot. So if you're looking for a little bit of knowledge on your fantasy um, F1 teams, I would recommend Pierre Gasly for this race. Boom. There you go. Not only are you dropping knowledge, but now you're also giving away uh, valuable Intel. I love it. All right. As we said, April 28th and uh, 29th and 30th qualifying, obviously on the 29th and the race on the 30th. Uh, sprint that, qualifying. That's right. So that's qualifying the Friday, sprint Saturday race. Sunday. That's right. So uh, for those again, who are new to formula one and thank you, if you're listening to us and you are sprint qualifying has been something we've had now for about three seasons there, we will have more sprints this season than ever before. This is the first one of this calendar year and the sprint obviously is an opportunity for 
uh, us to actually get a little bit of baby racing to qualify. So they will qualify Friday for the grid positions for the sprint. And then the sprint itself will determine the starting grid for the Grand Prix. So there will be a, an abbreviated, I believe it's a quarter distance race, uh, mini race. They're not allowed to call it a race. It's just qualifying. Anyway, we will be back Tyler on May 2nd with the review for this race. So this is basically the month of April about to be off because this is our first little mini break after a few big races. I don't know. Is this just to like, let the drivers get back on the right jet lag clock from being in Australia? I don't know. Did you know that most of the teams try to stay on European time when they're in Australia? So they're like getting up at three o'clock in the morning and sense. staying up till seven, just so that their clock, their body clocks are, are, are a bit more regulated. There's also apparently a push moving forward in Melbourne, in the future to make it a night race because then it would be better television for the rest of the world, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, and the last thing I do want to just really quickly mention before we go is our best wishes are, uh, go out to the individual in the crowd in Melbourne who was injured because apparently a piece of carbon fiber did get launched up in the air and came down and cut his arm rather severely. So hopefully he is okay. That's obviously something we don't want to see and something that the, you know, they're trying harder and harder to take care of. But if you're listening and thank Dude, if you're listening to us all the way from down under, I don't know, your hospital room, uh, we love you and uh, keep on cheering for Formula One, but uh, I doubt you're listening. Anyway, we wish him well <laughs> uh, and stay safe out there, guys. If you're going to races, stay safe. Keep those heads up. Uh, keep your eyes open and uh, and keep your ears open. Keep listening to this. We appreciate it. Uh, we will be back, as I said, first weekend uh, of uh, May for the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks, everybody, for listening. That was the Pit Stop Podcast. Pit Stop Podcast is a presentation of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit, whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.